Welcome to session number seven of our Root Series, The Appointed Times. Let's, let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for your word, and we ask you to open our minds to understand the scriptures tonight, that we might know you, the one true God, and Jesus, whom you have sent. Father, we know that you are the one who appointed these times, not just times back in the Old Testament, but times today. Uh, tonight, we'll even see that you appointed a time for us um, this past week. You're already working things together so that the, the times that were appointed by you reveal who you are and what you're doing. So, Lord, um, come tonight in power and authority. Come inside of us in power and authority while we wait for our King. In Jesus' name, amen. These are the rules. That's what we've been covering. These are the rules that God established with Israel. They're called festivals or feasts. Rules and laws that would allow the people of Israel to live their lives in the presence of God. But you have to do it God's way. And he set times and places and he aligned them with the created order, the sun, the moon, the stars. They had times appointed by God. Leviticus 23, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days of holy assembly. Holy assembly for what? To come into the presence of God, to have an encounter with God. He wants to meet with you. And he sets a time, an appointed time to meet with you. So God sets the appointed times, not Moses, not Aaron, not man. These appointed times are part of God's Word, and they are each one revelations of more than dates and more than um, events of history. They, I'll show you tonight. They, they actually reveal Him in the present tense. All of God's appointed times have an impact on the church. Um, in fact, all of God's appointed times reveal Jesus, the head of the church. Even though the appointed times of Leviticus 23 were set 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. 1,500 years. Is that a long time for God? It's a long time for me. It's not a long time for God. We've covered the Sabbath, the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Weeks to Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and now the Feast of Booths <coughs> or Tabernacles, or shelter. So before I explain it, I wonder how many of y'all since Saturday have thought about the fact that last week our topic was what? Tabernacles. What was this past Saturday? The day the war began. What was it? The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. What happened on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles? War breaks out in Israel. Coincidence? I don't think so. Israel was invaded this past Saturday. Saturday, a Sabbath, right? It's a Sabbath, but it's not just a Sabbath. This past Saturday was the last of the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the last day. Now, you probably heard in the news that it, 50 years before, on the same date, what happened? It was the Yom Kippur War. Now, it happened on a, uh, it was also on a Sabbath, uh, but it was Yom Kippur, not the tabernacles. And the difference is, you know, the calendar moves. It was on the same day, but uh, it wasn't on tabernacles. It was on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. That war was between Egypt and Syria. And 50 years ago, Egypt and Syria made a surprise invasion, 1973. Uh, Richard Nixon was the president, and I think Golda Meir was the um, prime minister of Israel. And she made an emergency request for military support, and Nixon gave it to her. And uh, many people say it was the turning point in the war. The war only lasted, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 days. But... Um, what was the war? The war was Egypt and Syria were trying to regain land that they lost in 67. But you know what happened? They lost land. 
And in that war, Israel regained part of the Golan Heights back that had been lost. Actually, Israel gained territory. So the reason I make, that, uh, make a big deal out of that is, do you think it's a coincidence that this past week we talked about the Feast of Tabernacles? Do, do you think I'm really that good of a planner? <laughs> and as we talk about the Feast of Tabernacles and its significance on the last day, and I almost show you why this is really important. It's really moved me. Just um, I'll, I'll get into it tonight. The last day on the Feast of Tabernacles is when Jesus reveals two things that are going to blow your mind. And he did it on the last day. And you and I just saw the last day of Tabernacles usher in a series of events that could possibly lead to a war that will cover the earth, that many nations might get involved in this. So let's, let's study the feast first. And then we'll connect the dots with Jesus. And, the, and it's in verse 33. And the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Begin celebrating the Feast of Shelters. Shelters and tabernacles, it's both the same thing. On the 15th day of the appointed month, five days after the Day of Atonement, the festival to the Lord will last for seven days. What? Tabernacles will last for seven days. On the first day of the festival, you must proclaim an official day for holy assembly when you do no ordinary work. And for seven days, you must present the special gifts to the Lord. The eighth day is another holy day on which you present your special gifts to the Lord. This will be a solemn occasion and no ordinary work may be done on that day. These are the Lord's appointed times, the appointed festivals. Celebrate them each year as official days for holy assembly by presenting special gifts to the Lord. Burnt offerings, <coughs> grain offerings, sacrifices, and liquid offerings, each on its proper day. These festivals must be observed in addition to the Lord's regular Sabbath days. And the offerings are in addition to your personal gifts. The offerings you give to fulfill your vows and the voluntary offerings you present to the Lord. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month after you have harvested your produce from the land. The first and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, bows from leafy trees and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. Now I want to make a point there. This festival is supposed to be a joyful event. You're it's, it's a party. It's, a, it's like a party environment. You're supposed to celebrate before the Lord. Um, for, uh, then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed in the appointed month for generation to generation. Thus, in 2023, in Israel, they're still doing it, right? It's a permanent law for you. Generation to generation for seven days. You must live outside of your house. You must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses gave the Israelites these instructions regarding the annual festival of the Lord. So let's make sure everybody understands. What they would do is they'd build some little temporary hut. And they would cover it with branches. He even identified the branches, what kind of branches you, you would use. And they would wrap the branches, and basically you'd go camping. You'd go camping in your backyard. So if you wonder why in Israel that a lot of these people that were kidnapped and killed, they were at a festival, they were camping. They were doing this whole celebrating, and they're out in the fields, and they're out of their houses. A lot of them are out of their houses in these little... Um, tree branch huts this past week. 
why? Why this festival? Why, why did God ordain this particular festival? So they would never forget that God protected them in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. That he gave them shelter for 40 years. They lived in the wilderness, not seven days, 40 years. And he protected them. This is also a spiritual message to the church today. And let me make sure you understand what I mean by that. We are traveling toward the promised land. Our life also has a wilderness experience. If you haven't had one yet, just wait and you will. There will be difficult things come in your life. And we call it, it's our wilderness journey. And, and we need to know that he will not leave us or abandon us while we're in our wilderness. This was a week-long celebration of the fall harvest and a time to build booths, shelters, branches to remember God's protection during those 40 years. Notice how the Israelites celebrated this festival as they returned to Jerusalem after 70 years of Babylonian captivity in the days of Nehemiah. Now, I need you to understand that in Nehemiah, this is a thousand years after Moses. Do you understand? This is, a, this is a long time after Moses gets this law about shelters. You've already been through all the kingdoms and the rise and the fall and 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And now Nehemiah's coming back to rebuild the temple and the temple and the city gates and city walls. Nehemiah 8.13, a thousand years after Moses. On October 9th, the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra, the scribe, to go over the law in greater detail. What law? The law of Moses. As they studied the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. He had said that a proclamation should be made throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, telling the people to go to the hills and get branches from olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. They were to use these branches to make shelters in which they would live during the festival as prescribed by the law. So the people went out and cut branches and used them to build shelters on the roof of their houses, in their courtyards, in their court, uh, courtyards of God's temple, or in the squares just inside the water gate or the Ephraim gate. Verse 17, so everyone who had returned from captivity, do you understand what that means? Uh, Jerusalem fell in 586 BC. And for 70 years, Jerusalem lay abandoned. Um, they're, they're living in Babylon, they're living in Persia, the, the people who survived they're not living in, in Israel. So at the end of 70 years, king, God puts in Cyrus's heart, the Persian king, to rebuild the temple. And he sends a letter that all the Jews who want to return to Israel can now return to Israel. So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival. And they were all filled with great joy. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. That, that's a long time. That's right after Moses, right? They had not celebrated. So obviously for a long time, the Israelites had really not been celebrating the Feast of Shelters. But now they're coming back, okay? They're coming back to the land and they're filled with joy and they go camping. They, they do shelters out in their yards. This festival is a time of rejoicing and remembrance, and it is a command. It's a command to rejoice. This festival is after the final harvest in the land, and you're rejoicing over the harvest. You're rejoicing over God's provision, and it's a celebration. But here's where it's going to get interesting tonight. There are traditionally two ceremonies held on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Two specifics. Here's the first one. And, it, and it's on the last day. So if you were traditionally Jewish, that would have been this last Saturday. Okay? The giant golden lampstand um, that would be used in the temple or the tabernacle. 
the giant golden lampstands were lit in the temple courtyard. And people carrying torches marched around the temple and then set these lights around the walls of the temple, indicating that Messiah would one day be a light to the Gentiles. Now, let, let me show you the scripture that would be read on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It, they would be referring um, Isaiah 49 verse 6. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel. He, who's he? God. God says, I'm going to do more than restore the people of Israel. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. So what he's saying, not only am I going to gather Israel to myself, God says, but as I gather you to me, I will also make you, Jews, a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's going beyond the Jewish people. And what's he going to use? He's using light. So why are they lighting the, the, the giant menorah? Why are they carrying torches? Why is it on the last day of the tabernacle? Why are they doing this? Because symbolically, that last day of tabernacles is a declaration that, that God is going to place his light in the Jewish people. And then that light will go from the Jewish people into the Gentiles, into the nations, into the world. And by the way, where did this come from? It's an illustration of this text. The, the scriptures came from the Jewish people. And it was for them only until it eventually went to the entire people of the world. Right? So they did that. And I'm, I'm going to connect the dots in a minute. So that's the first thing that they do on the last day of tabernacles. Here's the second thing. A priest carried water from the pool of Siloam to the temple, symbolizing that when Messiah comes, they were waiting for Messiah, the whole earth will know God as the waters cover the sea. So what they would do, and by the way, last time when we were in Israel, we went to the, the they have found the, the original pool of Siloam, and we went and toured that area. But they, the, the priests would go to the pool of Siloam, take a water bucket, and carry the water bucket from the pool of Siloam to the temple. And he would do it on the last day. Listen, he would do it on the last day of tabernacles. Wow, what's the significance? He's quoting Isaiah 11.9. That's why they're doing it. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? Because in this text, the Messiah has come. Nothing will, that when the Messiah comes, nothing will be hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. So that's why he's carrying the water bucket on the last day of tabernacles from the pool of Siloam to the temple. Now, here's where we're going to connect the dots. That's all Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's referred to as the feast. When Jesus attended the Feast of Tabernacles, and this is when it really blew my mind, on the last day of the feast. Why is it the last day? Because do you remember what they're doing on the last day? They're holding up the light and they're bringing out the water. They're on the last day, they're holding up the light the light that will eventually go through the Jewish people to the world, and they're bringing the water. As the waters fill the oceans or the seas, so the knowledge of the Lord will one day fill the earth. Okay? On the last day of the feast, he said, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink as the waters fill the sea. Do you see the connection? The next morning, while the torches were still burning, he said, I am the light of the world. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. 
on the last, I got goosebumps right now. I do, I really, in fact, one of them jumped on top of the other one. <laughs> on the last day of the feast, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he fulfills both events personally that they had been practicing since the time they began celebrating the Feast of, the, of Tabernacles, and he did them on the last day. So let's look at that. I want to look at it. John 7, 37. On the last day. So how do I know it's the last day of the festival? Because it says so and I can read. <laughs> On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Now I want you to imagine that in this same time, there's a priest leaving the pool of Siloam with a water bucket. And he's walking toward the temple. And Jesus says, anybody's thirsty, come to me. Don't go to the temple, come to me. Me, right? Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When Jesus said living water, he was speaking of what? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Okay, y'all with me? I need to give you a hint, okay? The word tabernacle means to um, live with. So if I tabernacled with you, I would live with you. So the concept of tabernacles is the concept of living with. And, and he had them built shelters because they lived with God in shelters in the wilderness. So what do you think it would mean if the Holy Spirit would come inside of me? It would mean that, that God in the person of the Spirit is tabernacling with me. He's living with me. We're, I'm, I'm, right now I am tabernacling with the Holy Spirit. He's in me. You see what I'm talking about? So go back and read that again. When anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he's talking about the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. So he's talking about, and he does this when? On the last day of tabernacles. But they're not going to be able to drink this water until after his death, burial, and resurrection. But it'll be from him, okay? Now let's go to John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. Now I want you to, I want you to put them together. So remember, they're, they're, they're lighting the menorah on this last day. And what does he declare? I am the light of the world. I am the menorah. I am the torches that you're going to carry around on, on the last day of tabernacles. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to light, to life. Jesus is revealing himself in this scene as the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. Like every feast we have talked about so far in this seven parts so far, Jesus reveals, I am every one of them. I'm the Sabbath, I'm the Passover, and I'm, the, I'm all of them. Jesus will tabernacle with us. Now, there's two parts to that. Right now, the church is able, by the grace of God, to tabernacle with Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to understand something. That is not the final fulfillment. The final fulfillment we'll get to in the end is when you and I will tabernacle with him permanently in his presence. Not, not in the Spirit. But, but in a new body, like his new body, we will tabernacle with him. 
Um, he will, right now, what, what's tabernacling? Right now he lives in us. He tabernacles in us. While we wait for Jesus to come and receive us unto himself, we tabernacle by way of the Spirit. The Feast of Tabernacles re represents the final harvest. You remember when he said, you do it, you do it after the last harvest. It represents the final harvest when all nations, Jews and Gentiles, will share in the joy and blessing of God's eternal kingdom. So let's go to Zechariah 14, 16. This is after the tribulation. If you know anything about Zechariah, Zechariah 14 is the end. This is during the millennial reign of Christ. So let, let me put it in order. Uh, I, I believe this is the order. I believe that there will be a rapture of the church. There will be a seven-year tribulation on the earth. And at the end of the seven years, Jesus will come. He will take his seat on David's throne. He'll begin to reign on the earth, and he'll reign for a thousand years. In that point, he will tabernacle with man. So here's what that will look like. In the end, okay, that's Zechariah's writing. After the tribulation, Jesus has come. He stands, he stands on the Mount of Olives. At the end, the enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague, this is the tribulation, will go up to Jerusalem each year to worship the king. All right? So they survived the plague. They survived the tribulation. They will go up each year to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and to do what? This is during the millennial. And to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Shelters. Any nation. So there's obviously a lot of people going to survive the plague. Anybody listening? Any nation in the world that refuses to come to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of heaven's armies will have no reign. And if the people of Egypt refuse to attend the festival, the festival of tabernacles, the Lord will punish them with the same plague that he sends on the other nations who refuse to go. Egypt and the other nations will all be punished if they don't go to celebrate the festival of shelters. So what is this? So how do you know? Okay, first it says in the end. Okay, that ought to be your first giveaway. By the way, if you read the first part of Zechariah 14, what's the first part of Zechariah 14? Some of you know. It says in the, that in Zechariah 14, verse 1, I can't quote it exactly, it says your, your houses will be ransacked and your women will be raped. It will be a great war. And Israel will be at the end of themselves. That's why this event of last Saturday is so important. And then he says what? And on that day, the Lord will come and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And he will fight as he did in the day of battle. And on that day, he will be the only king on the earth. He will take control of everything. Now you go down a few verses to verse 16 and he describes the events. The enemies of Jerusalem who survived the plague other nations who survived the plague, survived the tribulation, they're going to come up to Jerusalem once a year and bow before the king and celebrate Feast of Shelters. This is real. This is real. And if you don't go, if you're a nation, Egypt, you don't go, what happens? I'll send a plague. I'll stop the rain. There will be a price to pay. He rules. What, by the way, what does it say Jesus rules with during the tribulation, during the, the millennial kingdom? He rules with an iron scepter. What do you think that means? Absolute authority. This is a demonstration of absolute authority. Absolute authority. Jesus went up yearly. So let's go, let's go look at what Jesus did. He went up yearly to Jerusalem to participate in the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's look at the, John 7. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. 
But soon it was time for the Jewish feast of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea. But let me ask you a question. Did Jesus' brother, can you imagine being Jesus' brother? Why can't you be like your brother? I hear, I hear Mary saying it. Why can't you be like your brother? Did, did, did Jesus' brothers believe he was the Messiah? I remember it was years ago. I got up in church one day. We weren't in this building. We were one of the other places. Um, and I said, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. And some guy after church, he really got mad. He called me out and he said, you made that up. That's not in the Bible. And I said, yeah, it is. Listen, verse 2, but soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And Jesus' brothers said, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. Now, I want you, there's some sarcasm in here. And the reason I can tell you there's sarcasm is because of the rest of it. You, you go on up to Judea where all those people who like you are, right? You can't become famous if you hide in the Galilee. That's where they are. If you can do such, if, see that? That's a cynicism. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world if you are who you say you are. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. That's why I can say that because it's in here. Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. And by the way, in that scene, who hated him? His brothers. They don't like him. You can see it. That's why in many cases, Joseph is kind of a shadow of Jesus. He was, you know, God had great plans for Joseph. But did that make his brothers feel good about him? No, they hated him. They got, let's get rid of him. Put him in a sister and sell him to Egypt. It's like this, another one of those amazing shadows. And you go on, Jesus says, I'm not going to this festival, festival shelters, because my time has not yet come. And after saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly he's got a plan, staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then, midway through the festival, now we got a seven-day festival, right? So now they're halfway through the festival, and Jesus went up to the temple, and he began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained? Well, that's a funny question. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God. So who trained him? My father. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely on my own. Those who speak for themselves won't glory only for themselves, but a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. Moses gave you the law. And, and Moses gave you the law. They're celebrating the Feast of Shelters, okay? So that's part of the law, right? Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In fact, you're trying to kill me. The crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? And Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath. And you were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath. Here's where he reveals their hypocrisy. You work on the Sabbath too. When you obey Moses' law of circumcision, what was Moses' law of circumcision? Every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day. So I'm going to ask you a question. 
What happens if the eighth day falls on Saturday? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're not supposed to work on Saturday, right? He's going to reveal their hypocrisy. Why is this significant? He healed a man on Saturday. And they're calling him demon-possessed. They're calling him evil because he, he, it, looks like, it looks like he broke the law by the law of Moses. He's not supposed to work on Saturday. But he healed a guy on Saturday. So here we go. But you work on Sabbath too. When you obey law, Moses' law of circumcision, actually this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs long before the law of Moses. What does, what does that mean? Abraham was circumcised. Isaac was circumcised a long time before Moses. 400, what, four or 500 years before uh, Moses. For if the correct time, which is the eighth day, if the correct time for circumcising your sons falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it. And do it so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. They self-justified themselves by circumcising on the, on the Sabbath. But he couldn't heal a man on the Sabbath? You see the inconsistency? So I want you to notice the content of Jesus' teaching during the feast. Because it continues. Let's jump down to verse 25. This is during the Feast of Tabernacles. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? Now I want to make a point here. The idea that nobody had an idea that he might be the Messiah is incorrect. There were a lot of people thinking maybe he could be. And number two, they were looking for Messiah. They were watching. They were waiting. They were anticipating the Messiah. Because could our leaders possibly believe he's in, that he could be? But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. And when the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I come from. But I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true. And, uh-oh, this is not going over well. And you don't know him. Well, what's he saying? You're, you're the Jewish people. You're the chosen people. And you don't know who my father is. The one who sent me is true. And you don't know him. But I know him. Because I come from him and he sent me to you. Then the leaders tried to arrest him. I told you, they didn't go over well. They don't like that. They, do you think they didn't know what he's talking about? The leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. What does that mean? His time had not yet come. <laughs> you, you can't touch him. It, no matter what you try to do, you couldn't do it. What's another example of that? Remember when he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth and he opens the uh, Isaiah scroll and he reads, I've come to the, the declare the year of the Lord's favor to set the captives free. And, and basically he declares himself in that Jewish synagogue in his hometown, in his hometown. What? I am the Messiah. What did they do? They took him out to the cliff and prepared to push him over to kill him. And he walked through the center of the crowd. Why? His time had not come. His time had not yet come. No one could take his life. He had to lay his life down. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? So are there people now thinking he's got to be the Messiah. Yes, they are. When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah. They and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest him. Why? Because they're saying he's not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. But Jesus told him, I will be with you only a little longer. Who's he saying this to? 
They've sent the temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus looks at the temple guards and he's looking at the leadership, the Jewish leadership with this message. I will be with you only a little longer and then I will return to the one who sent me. What's he announcing? I'm going back. I'm going home. I'm, I'm going home to the Father. I'll be here a little while longer. I'm going back to the Father. You will search for me and not find me. What's it mean? You don't know who I am. You're, are they looking for a Messiah? This is so important. Are the Jewish leaders looking for Messiah? Yes. And he's standing in front of them and they can't see him. You will look for me, but not find me. And you cannot go where I am going. Now I'm going to tell you that has deep implications. You will not go to my father except through me. And if you don't know me and can't find me, you will never find him. Deep implications. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by his statement. Where is he planning to go? They ask, is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews in other lands? Maybe he will even reach or teach the Greeks. Now, I tell you, I find that amazingly important when you realize this is during the Feast of Shelters. And during the Feast of Shelters, what? One of their celebrations is the menorah. And what's in the menorah? He will be the light of salvation to the ends of the earth. And here they are without even knowing it. They are declaring the revelation of the Feast of Trumpets. What? He will be the light not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to the end of the earth. What does he mean when he says, you will search for me and not find me? You cannot go where I am going. <clears throat> Here we go. Now that happened during the three, during the seven days. Now we're again on the last day of the festival. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, again, I'm going to do it again. As he's saying this, on the last day, the Jewish people are carrying water from the pool of Siloam to the temple. Do you see it? And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, here he comes, he's the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? Let me stop for a moment. Do you, do you see something present itself here? He is the dividing line of all humanity. He's, he, he is. That's why when Jesus said, you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No. I came to bring a sword. Why? Because I'm going to split a family right down the middle. I'm going to split the Jewish people right down the middle. Why? He's the Messiah, but he can't be. He's the Messiah, but he can't be. You see, he's right in the middle. You're on one side or the other. Verse 42, for the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where the, the King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Anything changed in 2,000 years? Nope. Is the crowd divided about him? Yep. Some even wanted him arrested, but they laid, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested, uh, I, I don't know why I find this humorous, but when the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We, we sent you to get him. Why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this. How do you think that went over? The guards responded, have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? Now what does that say? They're mocking the common guard. 
because they admit I have never heard anybody talk like him. There's, a, there's something about him that I've never seen. And what do they say? Is there a single one of us big shots, rulers, Pharisees who believes in him? They thought themselves to be the source of truth. They thought themselves to be the source of truth. And they were not the source of truth. This foolish crowd follows him. You see their arrogance? But they are ignorant of the law. Who is ignorant of the law? They are. By the way, Jesus is the law. They're ignorant. They, they accuse the soldiers of being what they are. Ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. No, that's not true. And then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, finally he speaks up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. And they replied, are you from Galilee too, Nicodemus? You see the mocking? Search the scripture and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. And then the meeting broke up and everybody went home. Jesus is the literal fulfillment of all the Jewish feasts. And yes, there is an order. Jesus wants to tabernacle with us through the Holy Spirit. Right now, today, this moment, it is his desire to tabernacle with us through the Holy Spirit. While we wait for him to come for the church, and there is an order. For example, he is the Sabbath. He is our rest. He is our Passover the blood of the lamb that causes death to pass over us. He is our unleavened bread. We must remove the yeast, which is sin, from our house, from our temple. Do you see the order of things that brings Jesus to tabernacle with us in the person of the Holy Spirit? There is an order. There is an order. It matters. The Sabbath, the Passover, the unleavened bread, all of it matters. And those things, those beliefs in Jesus who is the law, the law who is Jesus, brings him to tabernacle with us. I cannot reject the law and reject and not reject Jesus at the same time. He is the law. He is the fulfillment of the law. He said, do you think I came to abolish the law? No, I came to fulfill the law. You see, you can't, you can't reject one and accept the other because he is both. I got all excited. I don't know where I'm at right now. I just thought I'd just go and tell you. You, were, you already knew it, so I thought I'd say it. He is our unleavened, unleavened bread. He is the only thing inside of me that is without sin. It's Him. The shadows, which are these laws, these festivals will one day be replaced by the main event. Jesus comes and reigns as King of Kings. Hebrews 10.1, the old system. This is the New Testament. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, if animal sacrifices could have done what Jesus did, we wouldn't need Jesus. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices, they would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But they didn't, did they? Actually, what did the sacrifices do? We covered it last week. All they did, the Day of Atonement, all it did was remind you that you're sinful. It didn't take away your guilt or shame. It, it just kind of pushed it back for a year. In Colossians 2.13, this is so powerful. He says, you were dead. That's all of us, Jew, Gentile. You were dead in your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, it's the circumcision of the human heart. You were dead because your sinful nature had not yet been cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. 
for he forgave all of your sins. Somebody say hallelujah. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. You know, I've talked so much about the spirit war this past year. And I want you to look that when Jesus died on the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. He, he, his, his foot stomped the serpent's head. That, that's the spiritual reality of Jesus on the cross. He is the fulfillment of the, of the curse that God put on the serpent. There will be enmity between you and the woman, and the woman's seed will crush the serpent's head. So he says this. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them at the cross. Who's he shaming publicly? The spiritual powers in the heavenly realms. You see, I'm convinced reading the scripture that Satan thought he had won. But he had no idea about the resurrection. He had no idea. Verse 16, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules, these rules, and then we're talking about the Old Testament. I'm going to put two things together. One is the 613 mitzvahs, 613 Jewish laws that is the law of Moses, including plus the Ten Commandments, plus the, uh, the festivals, all the rules about the festivals. These rules are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is the reality. That's why this whole series, I've been trying to communicate a single point. Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus is Passover. Jesus is Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus is Tabernacles. Jesus is everything. It's all him. He, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their simple minds have made them proud. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he, Jesus, holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So one more time, Jesus is the literal fulfillment of all the shadows, the Jewish feast. And yes, there is an order. Look again at the summary I shared with you this past week. We Christians believe the Jewish Messiah Jesus has already come to the earth to give his life as the atoning sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And he, we Christians, believe he is coming again soon. So there's a joke in Israel that when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, the Jews are going to say, are you here for the first time or the second time? Because the Jews think it's what? The first time. We believe he's here the second time. We believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, and that he was and is our day of atonement. In fact, Jesus was the literal fulfillment of all the spring feasts, festivals of Israel that were re revealed by God to Moses. And, and I've covered these one more time. Here we go. Jesus was crucified and died on the feast of Passover. He was buried on the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus rose from the dead on the Jewish feast of first fruits. What an amazing coincidence. Jesus came to the earth in the form and the person of the Holy Spirit when? On the feast of Pentecost. These are the four spring feasts of Israel. They are followed by three fall feasts that begin with the Feast of Trumpets. There is a summertime gap in the center of the seven Jewish feasts. Will God use his son in some way to fulfill these fall feasts as well? How will Jesus fulfill the next three Jewish feasts, festivals? And what about the summertime gap, the time before the harvest? There's three more. Four of the seven he fulfilled literally, physically on a certain day. But what about the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles? 
And what about the fact that war broke out in Israel on the last day of tabernacles in light of everything I have read to you tonight? What an amazing coincidence. Nobody knows for sure how and when he will do it. What? Fulfill those last three. But I believe Jesus will literally fulfill these remaining three feasts in some way. And I need to say this too. I believe the summertime gap between Pentecost and trumpets is, in God's perspective, the time of the church. The time when God has opened up his salvation to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles of the world. And I want to say it again. On the last day of tabernacles, the scripture reading is as they light the golden lampstand. The scripture reading that they would use on the last day. The Jewish people is that he not only brought the light to Israel, the Jews, but he will bring the light through the Jews to the rest of the nations. The Apostle Paul warned, reveals, excuse me, the Apostle Paul reveals this wonderful mystery to the Gentile church in Rome and also in Colossae. Let's read the Roman one first. I want you to understand this mystery. Who's he talking to? Romans is a Gentile church. I want you Gentile church people to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you church people will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. Yes, it's true. But this will only last. This will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. What does that say? That the door will be held open until he decides to close it. When the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ, something's going to happen. I can tell you what's going to happen. He's going to turn his attention one last time to Israel. This is what Paul writes to the Colossians church. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations passed, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for Gentiles too. And this is the secret, the tabernacle. What do you think it means when Christ lives in you? This is the secret. What does it mean? The tabernacle. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. If you tabernacle right now with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, you have the assurance of glory. Why? He is glory. And you have him, you already got glory. You got glory because glory is him. He is glory. Christ lives in you. Christ tabernacles with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. But there is an ending of the shadows. Behold, I make everything new. There will be an ending of the shadows. There will be an ending. And there will be an ending in which my tabernacle with Jesus will not be just in the spirit. But it will be in the flesh. Do you understand that? Man, I'm telling you, this is, this is our hope. This is our future. Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud shout from the throne saying what? Look, God's home is now among his people. No more shadows. No more shadows. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever, including the shadows. Next week's topic. Are you ready? is the eighth day. And I doubt there's very many people that have really noticed the celebration of the eighth day unless you're deep into the Jewish traditions. But it is a festival. It is the eighth day. And I'm going to just tell you without giving it away, you don't want to miss this because it is an incredible revelation of the kingdom of Christ. And here's the hint so you can think about it all week. What happens after the seventh day? The eighth day. 
Can, can you guess what that is? <laughs> Come back next Wednesday. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opening our minds to understand the scripture. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of a war in the Middle East, that could drag other nations even hours into it. We draw great comfort for knowing on the last day of the feast, you revealed yourself as our tabernacle. Right now, today, we tabernacle with you through the Spirit. And Father, we know that in the future, one day we will tabernacle with you in the flesh. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.